You're listening to the audit on the lever. Lever? Lever. lever. We want to say it both ways. I want to say uh, it both with ways. Dave Anthony and Josh Olson, and of course, what you said? What our study buddy? Yes. Say it. Say I'm the word. Kate. Study buddy. Yeah. Study buddy. Kate Willett. You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper out on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit, and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the lever's independent journalism. As an added bonus, every audit supporter will also get access to the lever's premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks, and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can also find the audit's tip jar at levernews.com slash audit and leave us a tip. And we are, of course, still still slogging our way through the George W. Bush masterclass in leadership. Um, have you guys, in the uh, since we last recorded, have you had a chance to um, exercise anything you've learned from the first couple of episodes in leadership? Um, Kate, you're a CEO of a massive company with... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still grappling with what you said about how I'm not going to be the president of the United States. Um, I've been coming to a sort of slow acceptance of that um, and just going from there. And I've been trying to, uh, I think, pretend that I like people. That seems to be mm -hmm. sort of a, mm -hmm. a key point he made. Yeah, it's, right. it's going fine. I wouldn't say getting extraordinary <laughs> results, but, you, you know. You shouldn't take that too far, I think. Yeah. Because you end yeah. up... You could end up married to someone. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing, too, is it's like, uh, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but, you know, some of this stuff about how pretending you like people, if you're a lady and you do that with guys, they're like, you know, they don't think that you're just networking. They think right. that, uh... <laughs> oh, God, yeah. 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 Unless so, you're my son and a girl hits on you for six months and you still can't figure it out. Right. That's the, there's only two extremes. There's like, <laughs> there's like people who you can just be like, Hey, I like you. I would like to go on a date. And they'll be like, 
what does she mean by that? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, (laughs) and then there'll be like people that are like, you know, oh, hey, excuse me, do you know what time it is? And it's like, uh, she's down, you know, there's there's nothing in between. Oh, God, this is cringe inducing. I got to move. I've I've told Dave this story. It's a, I I found myself after some, some event with a group of people, at the old cafe 101 in Hollywood that one o'clock in the morning that slowly went out down to just me and, and a very famous actress who um, everybody in my cohort that is my age or so um, has been in love with for many decades. And we were just sitting having coffee and I'm sitting there and I'm like, literally no. And I was single. I was like, at no point is it occurring to me to even like, I was like, we'll just have a conversation. I mean, it's, it would be absurd to, and we sat around and we talked about like old Bud Bedecker Westerns for like an hour and a half and had coffee on until the morning. It was really nice. It even made plans to go to some Western film festival because she liked old fifties Westerns. And I'm like, I'm completely, I'm like putting nothing out. I'm not, in, I'm just trying to do that. Like I'm safe vibe that us yeah. folk do. And I go home and it turns out we have a mutual friend who a couple, like a week later uh, called our friend and goes, what's with your friend, Josh. I was just like throwing vibes at him all night. And he just was not interested. Oh wow! It's hard. It's hard to read. Be and then she married a rock be... star. <laughs> mm. Good job, Josh. Thank you. That was that was. <laughs> I'm probably better off. That's that's all I'm gonna say. That's where. I, by the way, that's where I asked out my wife. Where's that? Cafe 101. Cafe 101. Yeah, yeah. The late lamented Cafe 101. Well, let's before we get into Bush, I wanted to talk about something that that happened recently that is making me insane because it's. Such a perfect example. I think, you know, Dave's going to go, yeah, we all know this, but I feel like you could discuss for like hours to get to really what it means to to what's going on in politics today and not just the fact that it's happening. Um, this was from uh, a meeting, uh, um, our buddy, uh, buddy, never met him, Unusual Whales. Do you guys follow this? Uh, yeah. This, mm. uh, this Twitter. I don't know. I it's, it's uh, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say dude, because I don't know. Do you know, Dave? I don't know. Unusual whales? Is that what you said? Unusual whales. Person or different people? Okay. Yeah, it's a but, and they're um, they're a great Twitter account, and they follow like um, economics and stock, mostly like stock market stuff. Uh, and they're the ones who broke the story about Nancy Pelosi's just astonishing record as, um, or I guess her husband investor. as as an investor. Just like yeah. uh, his 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 success rate is just way beyond one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, it's just astonishing. And um, uh, these were he he they put out this video last week of uh, just these um, you know financial hearings uh, at mm-hmm. uh, the House Financial Services Committee uh, last week. And if you uh, haven't heard this, yeah, you, you need to be sitting down. The gentleman from Indiana, Mr. Hollingsworth, is now recognized for five minutes. Well, good afternoon. I'm excited to be here with each of you. Before I get started on my questions, Mr. Moynihan, I wanted to let you know, Saruthi, raise your hand, Saruthi. She has been my team member for a couple of years now, but on Monday, she becomes a Bank of America team member, about which she is very, very excited. So I hope you'll take good care of her and know and recognize the talent that she has shown already in our office. I'm sure she'll do the same at Bank of America. We will do that, and her father already works for us, so he'll oh, take care of it. You should have called us. <laughs> um, well, good. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to chat about some of these issues today. What I'm really interested in is the state of the yeah, economy. So just sitting there openly cracking up about the revolving door between politics yeah. and 
and obviously this is not surprising there's a it's a little surprising it's so open but not even that surprising but it just really hit me because we're constantly being told over and over again at least from folks who are you know the, the democratic sector that we're living in the handmaid's tale and if you want to see where things are going read the handmaid's tale or watch the handmaid's tale and i guess there's some truth in that but the thing that really hits me the most is i think the book that we're really living in is the emperor's new clothes because everything is happening right in front of you on national TV. And the people who live, the people who control the discourse, the media, the pundits, all those folks, the, the paid Twitter people and so forth, all talk about this shit as though you don't know it. They talk about shit that doesn't actually exist or doesn't really matter. And they talk about politics in a way that isn't real outside of their world. And I always go back to stuff like this, or I go back to those, you know, you're always being told the numbers are good, the, the unemployment is down, and the GDP is up, and they throw all these numbers at you, and, and everyone, then they have guests on, and they all talk about how the president's doing a great job because the economy is looking great, and it never occurs to any of these people, because we live in a country where, and this has been going on for a while, the majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a minute, but if you're in that situation, and you turn on the TV and everyone you know is in that situation. And every time you turn on the TV, it's stuff like this that I just played, or it's somebody telling you that the numbers are good, or it's people talking about an economy that bears no resemblance to your life whatsoever. And then they think like, we have to do messaging better. It's like, no, you don't. People are not, they're not dropping out and they're not running away from you and they're not going fuck all the parties. They're all the same because of some message they're being sold. They're saying that because every time they turn on the TV, they're watching bullshit like this. And they're not as mired as these people are in any kind of partisan loyalty and any kind of ideological loyalty. So they're just looking at the world they live in. They're seeing the people in charge absolutely and utterly corrupt and laughing about it. They're seeing the numbers they're told by which everything is measured are absolute bullshit. And they're going, fucking, I'm out of here. And the conversation still revolves around people who live in this tiny little beltway who think they live in something that vaguely resembles reality, who understand why people are checking out. And it just, it makes me fucking insane. Yeah. And people are treated like, you know, there's, there's just kind of a, an open contempt among politicians for people who say things like, yeah, you know, you should just, we should just have healthcare for everybody. It's like, ha ha ha, you, you little juvenile idiot. You just, you don't understand. You clearly possess, you know, like a, a, a childlike, you know, a vision or whatever, a fairy tale yeah. is the word I was looking for. Yeah. And it's like, it's not realistic. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm sure the thing is, is if you're like, if you're doing well, let's say you're like a guy that makes, you know, 200 K a year, I'm sure that incremental change does feel fine to you. But I don't think that people who are struggling with basic needs really feel particularly good about hearing politicians say that solving the most basic issues that a government is supposed to solve is like, you know, a pony, as Hillary Clinton put it, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly wondering, I mean, I, I realized the other day, it really hit me that I have spent half of my working life being okay, but I still go about the world. I mean, literally, it's just like night and day. I'm a screenwriter. I work in a stupid business where this can happen if you're incredibly lucky, which I live, which I was, where you can literally go from living in like a one-room flop house 
to, you know, making an ungodly amount of money overnight. And most people don't live in that world. And most people can't live in that world. And for all that, I still, the fact that I spent half my working adult life living paycheck to paycheck or worse still haunts. I still wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so stressful. These people, how they're so disconnected from that reality, how they don't get that. That's like, that's it, man. They don't care. I mean, what, what if they're disconnected They're when they say messaging, their messaging is to how to talk you into staying the same way. They're, they're was, just rich people fucking you over. They don't, they don't give a shit at all. They just don't care. And I know people want to think the Democrats care. The Democrats, they, they don't, like, we would have health care if they cared. They don't care. But there's a way to stay in power. And eventually. Yeah, but they don't care about that because they know they will get back into power. And when they're not in power, they profit. Like, there's no, non, there's no point where they're not profiting. All of the Democratic consultants who are terrible at their job, they're terrible. They just keep profiting because they just keep doing elections. And then when they're out of office, they send out the fundraising emails and they make their money and they just keep making money. It's so they can send their kids to nice schools and have their nice houses. And that's all it is. Yeah. That, like, of course, they're going to say, of course, they're going to say this in a hearing now that why wouldn't they? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everybody knows the, what the game is. But I've never it's it's become more and more. It's been fascinating the last decade or so. Just so out of the open, everything from. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this. I mean, the fact I still people have forgotten they memory hold it. Joe Biden's eye exploded in blood during a debate. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. You know, and we never discussed it. It was like 30 seconds of like, oh yeah, that was wild. Whereas, you know, if it had been Trump, rightly so people would be like, see, 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 he's falling apart. And it's just like each team completely you know, I mean, Trump's fucking insane. You have to be out of your fucking mind to look at that guy and go, yeah, he's my man. But you can get so lost in having contempt for the people who do that. You lose sight of the fact that you're doing the exact same thing for your guys. Biden could shoot a guy on, on fifth Avenue and Democrats would line up to like excuse it away. And I mean, they kind of did in a way. I mean, not to get us into things that people are going to be too mad about, but you know, I mean, Biden was, accused of sexual assault and right. harassment and I'm, you know i'm not gonna opine on you know if it uh happened or not i wasn't there but there was certainly no investigation into it whatsoever right that and, was the thing that was the crazy yeah. thing and you got put into a situation where if your position was simply you know all these things should be treated with with equanimity and should be investigated especially when it's somebody like say the president you're like oh you support yeah. trump you're like no and by the way, here, if you want a version where it's not even about right and wrong, I want to know this didn't happen before we get to a point that it explodes on us and elects Trump. How about that? Just yeah, exactly. Why aren't you interested in getting to the bottom of this? Yeah. And it's like, well, Agreed. well, you know, I mean, speaking of that, Italy had their Italy had their Trump years ago. Yeah. And and now they have their their competent fascist. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's you watch it all. You watch it all come into place and you just think if neoliberals cannot see that they're the problem at this point, then it's astounding. Like every single country in which you have neoliberalism is fucking falling to fascism. Get your yeah. head out of your ass. It's very, very obvious what's going on. I don't know if either of you guys are allowed to think this is funny, but I can. I saw someone call her uh, Pussolini. <laughs> Which ah. made me laugh really hard. 
And did you see that? Yeah, did you see that Hillary Clinton like praised her? Yeah. She was like, "It's you know, it's a, a great thing whenever someone, whenever we yeah. elect a woman, it's always a step forward." And it's like that was a oh my god, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that even yeah, that was a pinnacle. That was like a parody. Yeah, um, that was like a, that's like what like that's like what people would make fun of about like the girl boss thing like that's like the exaggerated version of it it's like no she really just did praise a girl boss fascist yeah wow yeah yeah just straight up and um um yeah i i i don't i don't know what to do with the fact that there is a tribe i feel like it's dwindling in her case of people who are not only cheering her for that you know the people who not only were like fuck yeah strong strong girl boss in italy those same people were outraged when the backlash to those stupid fucking comments came, it was like, by the way, she's a fascist. Like, why do you hate women? <laughs> Can't I just hate some women? Is that not allowed? Can't we just acknowledge it? Some like, hey, you're a woman. Come on, you know some women who are fucking awful, right? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, all I need to go home. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's so cynical i think it's good to elect women but i mean it like definitely matters what that woman believes and does you know like it's it's fully ridiculous to claim that it doesn't and i don't even know if i think anyone believes that anymore like i think that even like among your average you know average uh liberal democrat here they would very few people uh were saying for example that like kellyanne conway was you know a uh, a positive step for women but i mean i guess at the at the outer edge you do get some people who will literally say anything yeah it's funny because we're gonna get to both of these in a minute or two of the master class um dave did you have something and you want to just jump into oh yeah um so there's a pretty cool CIA op going on. Um, oh, the podcast! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, we want to. We want to. Well, by the time this hits, it'll have been out for a while. In fact, we're the. That's weird. Yeah, they they came out before us, but we've been at it longer. We do want to welcome our um, our new brothers in podcastery, the CIA, uh, to this <laughs> wonderful medium. Um, we'd love to have their hosts on our show. Uh, we'd love to go on their show. I think it'll yeah. be fun, right? Um. Uh, so, you know, obviously everyone's been watching what's happening in Iran, which is, you know, been building for literally generations, um, being led by women, because obviously most oppressed. I mean, they're they're living the handmaid's tale, right? And and so the liberal media needs to find uh someone who did this. Much like when when Georgia elected to Democratic senators, they decided that was all Stacey Abrams that did it, as opposed to Thanks. hundreds and hundreds of people on the ground working, like driving fucking school buses around to get people registered, like the work. Well, they no, it's all Stacey Abrams. So they, this woman, uh, Masi Alinejad pops up and she, they did a big uh, article about her in the New Yorker. Um, it basically says, Iran has been brought to this point by her and credits her uh, a claim that she single-handedly is leading the feminism uprising or they incorrectly, I guess, credited her. So they're, they're pushing this woman out there. Then she's on CNN and she's on Fox. And, you know, by the way, if 
someone is on CNN and Fox, that means that something not right is happening. If she's being treated the same way on those two networks, that means something very wrong is going on. Um, so they're pushing her out there, and which is just morally heinous because of what's going on there. And, uh, you know, you're really talking about a woman-led revolution that's trying to get going. And you take this one woman who used to used to live in Iran is now in New York and you throw her out there, which is what they do, which is what they did with what's his name? Ch Chalabi during Iraq. Like, oh, this guy's the voice of no, he's not. He's a grifter. Um, so then people start, you know, looking into it and look because she's being interviewed and talked about and she is aligned with uh john bolton and pompeo as far as what to do with uh, uh iran which is yeah. she goes on all these shows and she starts talking about sanctions you're not going to find a fucking woman in iran that thinks that sanctions should exist because they're all fucking dying and can't get medicine and their kids are dying that's what yeah, sanctions are doing to the women of iran it also makes it harder for you to have any kind of revolution when you can't get stuff the yeah. government can have all they want. The people can't get what they want. You're actually hindering any opportunity for these things to actually happen. And and so she's going on and she's doing all this. And then someone's like, this woman works for the American government. Oh, my God. She's on Voice of America. Ugh. She's on a fucking CIA operation propaganda <laughs> channel to fucking put out propaganda all across the rent. She is a fucking CIA worker. She makes like hundreds of thousand dollars working for Voice of Fucking America. She's a CIA podcaster. I was going to say, has yes, she been on their show? CIA. <laughs> and so they've all, so all these, all these liberal establishments, these news, they've all decided she's the one and they're throwing her out there. And you're just like, what if you looked at the past and saw what the CIA has already done to Iran and didn't have that happening again. Why the fuck are you talking to this woman? But it's all they know. They all they know is to put up one face, one hero, one. They already have that. We are there's already a a dead woman in Iran who was beaten to death. There's your fucking hero. There's your fucking person who sparked it all. There's the person who stood up. You don't need some a woman living in America. It's crazy to watch. And all these people fall for it. All these people, look at her. She's so strong. She's talking back. The fucking women I ran are on the fucking streets fighting for their fucking lives. What in the fuck are you talking about? It's really crazy to watch. Our media is just, our media is just hell. It's, it's just absolute nightmare. It's really bad. And there's so much consensus between liberal and conservative foreign policy, policing. I mean, there's there's almost no daylight anymore. There is none. There used to be, it, you know, for a while there was a difference and then it switched to whoever was in charge. They would back the opposite. And then now it's just they're all on board for all the stuff. They're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's really wild. I mean, like a police officer shot a 15 year old girl yesterday and Democrats are still out there talking about, oh, we need to give the police more funding. I mean, after Uvalde. All this shit—it's—it's it's so wild that there's not after one party. Already, after how do you, how do you have, if you're a, if you're a liberal woman, and you are pro-abortion, how do you want more cops? Exactly. Do you know what that means. 
Yeah. They, it's like people just think that it's never going to affect them. And <sighs> I don't know. I think that's, that's, I think that's what liberals are. People who think it's never going to affect them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard to watch. Well, it's also, it's, it's, it's and it goes, it goes beyond just politics too. It's like that thing where they just so lost sight of what their mandate is supposed to be. And it's about creating entertainment and you need, you need a star, you know, you need, you need someone that uh, the audience can hang their hopes and expectations on. Hey, here's this attractive character who fits the bill. Let's, let's turn them into something with no regard for what that does to the actual world you live in. Yeah. You None know? at all. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news events and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Yeah, well, it's fine. Now I'm in a good mood. Now I'm in a good mood. <laughs> Uh, let's, should we talk about building a stronger team, guys? Yes, let's build a stronger team. I just just God. listen to this cavalcade of swine. This is the opening of the first uh, the first chapter we're going to get into. The first lesson today's first lesson. Good afternoon. I'm pleased to announce my nomination of Dr. Condoleezza Rice to be America's Secretary of State. I'm submitting the name of Donald Rumsfeld to be Secretary of Defense. I'm proud to announce that Dick Cheney, a man of great integrity, sound judgment, and experience, is my choice to be the next Vice President of the United States. Yeah, that doesn't seem like that's what was in the. In yeah, the I class. was like, I don't remember this part. <laughs> that seems really wow. I can't believe they put that in there, but yeah, yeah. You, well, you know, kudos to masterclass. Yeah, very. Um, uh, that that description of Dick Cheney, very uh, opposite day vibes. Yeah. Well, let's 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 get to W today in his class explaining uh, how how he came to pick his uh, amazing team. The chief executive is the tone setter. Uh, you can't expect your vice president, if you're running a company, to set the tone for the company. It's the chief executive who goes to stockbrokers and the public. It's the chief executive who uh, sends signals throughout an organization. Same with the president. When you set up a team, you want to make sure that there is a general agreement about the philosophy of the policies that you intend to implement. So, I mean, they were all neocons. 
mean, that was, that was it. Not only, was, not only are they all neocons, they're all um, highly connected to oil. The mm-hmm. Dick Cheney, Halliburton, Condoleezza Rice, Chevron, like uh, I think Card is also uh, oil guy. They're all oil guys. It's an oil-based administration. Thus, thus, uh, why it was so slimy. Mm, yeah. Huh? Mm, huh? Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Like, like what's his name? Wolfowitz. Um, was part of a group. Do you know about the Vulcans? The Vulcans? Yeah, the Vulcans. They were yeah for Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. No, they're actually the opposite of Vulcans kind of because they're incredibly actually Vulcan god of war. I believe is where it comes from. Or god of fire. Oh, that's very different. Yeah. Um. But uh, uh, Wolfowitz, Cheney, Rice, Rumsfeld, and a bunch of others were vigorous proponents of you know the the most warlike possible response to nine eleven. There's a book to anything and nine eleven. Yeah. There's a book called Rise of the Vulcans, uh, the history of Bush's war cabinet. And it kind of breaks their ideology down to four parts. Um, they all had uh, early and profound experience in the Pentagon that focused their attention on military power rather than diplomacy. Uh, a strong re- reluctance to accommodate other countries. <laughs> to accommodate other countries. <laughs> that's a great euphemism. Yeah. 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 That's uh, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald had a strong reluctance to accommodate JFK. Is uh, um, uh, not saying that he did it, folks. Just uh, the belief that America is a force for good and should seek to foster democracy and American ideals throughout the world. And a tendency to think that the United States was not declining, but that it had greater capabilities than were generally recognized. And they were all supporters of uh, uh, Enemy of Trump and beloved liberal icon uh, William Crystal's project for the new American century. I mean, we knew, and yeah, and let's not forget Dick Cheney um, led as Secretary of Defense led the invasion of Panama, which was mm. a grotesque violation of everything like just horrendous and then um also operation desert storm which was based on lies um then yes yeah yes uh these were these were wonderful people i think one of the things that um it's fun having when are you born kate like 2005 or something it's uh yes definitely it's lovely yeah. having yeah. these younger folks on because they know but here's yeah. here's one I'm, I'm actually way older than that but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name a number Okay. Yeah, I'm as old um, as the part needs me to be. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what a lot of people forget too is that when Bush was running, we knew that the first order of business was going to be come up with an excuse to go into Iraq. It was just known. It was he was it was it was a, a holdover from his father's experience with Saddam. Saddam wanted to kill his father. So forth and so on. But it was like, it was just simply a given when you discuss this thing. It was like, you know, if we like Bush, we're going to war in Iraq. People don't talk about that as much anymore. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that was a thing. It, it Yeah. And it, um, and, and he yeah. went out of his way to, to uh, combat that by saying we don't do nation building and all that stuff during debates. Right. 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 And uh, uh, I mean, it, it was just so bizarre that you could see how this was going to go. Absent one big event that was used to kick it off. But, um, uh, but yeah, we'll get to that too in a minute. But here's an interesting thing too about um, Rumsfeld uh, that I don't think I had known, but before 9-11, Rumsfeld was considered a spectacular failure. Yeah. He was really obnoxious. He alienated everyone. 
um, at a time when the administration was, you know, looking for tax cuts. He, he seems like a dick. And appropriations for the military. One general said within six months, uh, Donald Rumsfeld wrecked the Department of Defense. He refused to talk to the military. Nobody on the Hill took him seriously. No one in the Pentagon took him seriously. He was perceived as being on the way out, in fact, until. Anybody want to guess what happened? Uh, his 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 buddy Dick Cheney got named vice president. No, until 9-11. Oh, and then that 9-11 kind of changed happened. things for all these guys. Yeah. And we're well, yeah, because they had already they had already written yeah. their their uh, attack policy for all mm-hmm. these countries. So um, R- Rumsfeld and Cheney were buddies. Yeah. Which is weird because it's very hard to imagine anyone being friends with either of those guys. Yeah. But... By the way, really good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What I'm always fascinated by stuff like that. What do these guys talk about when they're like hanging out together? Do you think it's just all policy all the time? No, I think they talk. <gasps> they about probably talk them. about strippers and stuff. i guess um yeah and just and and what it's like to kill animals i would love to know i would really love to know um but i don't think uh, you would love to know though i think it would really depress you (laughs) no i I think it'll be fascinating to see them see them without the masks just being human beings yeah that's like what what these guys what do these guys do what do they think um (laughs) george w bush it's just like you know he's just like you know you bring yeah you bring up 9-11 um 9-11 kind of happened because of cheney because cheney was the guy who talked saudi arabia into allowing troops in saudi arabia and that was osama bin laden's greatest recruiting tool mm. and they, all the 9-11 guys came from saudi arabia so uh i don't know if you want to connect dots but uh i'm gonna say it dick cheney was responsible for 9-11 i'm taking liberty but <laughs> Well, there's, a, there's a lot so of did he. He also took liberty. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was his one of the main goals? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going into that too. I mean, there is the fact that they just simply will get into this to, um, you know, ignored warnings that this was coming. But but before we get to that tiny little thing, I want to get to something really much more important. That's diversity, because um, people forget what a wokester George W. Bush was. <laughs> wokester. I was always looking for balance. Uh, amongst uh, gender and uh, and race and uh, religion, it was important to me that people from all walks of life were included in my administration. By the way, that may that, actually be true. That's why he had. That's why he had uh, a Sikh mm-hmm. uh, as the Department of Transportation head, and a Muslim as the Department of Housing head. Pretty sure Dave's making that up, folks. Yeah, I was trying to think, but that seems made up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, don't do that. What are you talking about? Um, but it is interesting. In fact, Brian, uh, our uh, free-floating agent of chaos, an amazing research guy, dug up a fun study, which was an analysis of diversity in presidential hires. And until Biden, Bush held the record for placing the most women and ethnic minorities in high-ranking slots. Huh. And until uh, who'd you say Trump until Biden and then Kate, Kate brought up, Kate brought up, uh, what's her name? Um, Kellyanne Conway. One of the things that was cracking me up about that was, you know, we need to stop assuming people understand exactly where we're coming from. We, we do not like Donald Trump. Not, not in the least. <laughs> 
Wait, hold on. I'm starting to reevaluate my position on this podcast. <laughs> I just this feel like I don't want really to do this every week, but as you know, we're going to have new listeners. Some people come to us from our previous things and know who we are, but some people don't. And yeah, if I woke up tomorrow and found out that through some miracle, Donald Trump was now going to spend the rest of his life rotting in a jail cell, I would be happy about that. Can you I imagine would... how funny? So good. It would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, imagine him then mounting his next presidential campaign from jail. Oh, I, all I heard was Trump and mounting, and I had a whole different. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Oh, damn it! Why would you do anyway, that to us? That's horrible. Yeah, it's not. But, but in prison, it, yeah. he's not the mount. Mount. He's mounted. But but if you want to talk about like why some of us have gotten a little bit cynical about about representation, and by the way, in government. I work in Hollywood. I work in movies. I think representation in film and art is insanely important. And uh, I have I have put myself on the line many times and, and worked towards that. Uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, I think uh, politics uh, are not entertainment. It's a whole different thing. And yes, I think it's important that we have diversity in politics, but that's not the end goal. If you are giving more parts to black actors, I don't give a shit if those black actors are nice people or not. I just care if they're any good in the part. But when it comes to politics, it's like we need to dig deeper, as Kate was saying earlier, because nobody ever talked about this. But Trump's communication team, Trump had the very first all-woman communications team in the White House. Oh, did he? Yes. Wow. Under Kelly and Conway. Yep. And and weirdly, uh, none of the people who laud that stuff when, you know, uh, Biden has the first, uh, I believe, what is it, the first first black bisexual press secretary that that got a lot of news when um, biden did that or is she a lesbian i can't remember it's like great terrific that's wonderful you do know that trump had an all woman like no it's i mean that's why the the uh, the eventual fascist that takes over america will be a woman Correct. Yeah, a hot one too. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. A hot lady. <laughs> a, oh, yeah. a dime. I, yeah. I am, I am hundred percent convinced to my soul that the first woman president uh, is is going to be a Republican. Oh, I definitely yeah. think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Um, and and they will ram all. And by the way, I think that's that's why Trump. One of the reasons Trump nominated. Uh, uh, oh my God! What's her name? That that uh, the last person he put on the Supreme Court. That horrible woman. Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney. Yeah. I mean, that that was him having a laugh at the expense of yeah. the Democrats. And, well, it's just and, like Clarence Thomas. They were having a laugh yeah. with that, too. And it also, it it both of them succeeded. It was harder for Democrats to go after them. Yes. Because of that shit. Uh, it's terrible. So, but let's get to the first big presidential decision. The first thing any president does. Uh, in fact, he does it before he's president, and you should judge them by it. The selection of Vice President Dick Cheney, it's the first presidential decision. It's the first chance that people get to see what kind of decision maker you'll be. Is the process thorough? Have you consulted other people? Have you thought of all options? And in looking for the vice president, I wanted the following. I wanted someone who would not be running for president immediately upon being sworn in because that creates enormous difficulties inside the White House. I wanted someone who knew Washington because I didn't know Washington. I thought it sent a signal that I'm self-aware. I wanted to send a message that I took the pick seriously and understood what the pick needed to address. I think it reflected well. But the main thing is he could be president. Could be. <laughs> Was. 
Yeah. Was president. You know, it's weird. I mean, on so many levels, this was such a weird and bad, like the vice president's primary job is to be there to take over. If something happens to the president health or he dies. Do you remember, do you know how many heart attacks Cheney had had before he took office? 74. Correct. No, not only had he had three fucking heart attacks by the time that Bush picked him, he had his fourth during the Florida recount. This is the surprising thing about that is that Cheney has a heart. I think (laughs) it's, it's, uh, I mean, it was such, it was such an overtly bad choice, but it worked clearly. And Cheney worked. So, um, Fun thing. So everything Bush is saying here about leadership. I mean, should we talk about Dick Cheney for a minute? Yeah. Because it seems to me that if you're talking about leadership and you're trying to be the leader, picking a guy who's basically going to spend the next eight years telling you what to do is. Seems like it might not be uh, a good example for your leadership. What do you mean? So there's a book called Vice. This guy, Lou DeBose. Um about Dick Cheney, the president's staff was no match for the disciplined operation Dick Cheney deployed to take care of business and to bureaucratically emasculate George W. Bush. Within the largest vice presidential staff in the history of the office, Cheney set up his own shadow National Security Council staff, something no VP had ever done before. In this unprecedented arrangement was another glaring peculiarity. The VP's national security staffers read all the meal traffic, email traffic, in, out, and in between of the president's staffers. Yet the president's staff wasn't allowed to read the communications of Cheney staffers. Wow. This this is a little uh, not, there's a little yes. shade of not truth to this. Um, George Bush, the first George Bush, mm-hmm. was running um, essentially a CIA operation out of the White House as vice president and um, so, sort of same, you know, deal. He, wasn't doing, he wasn't getting all of the foreign policy through, but he had a, mm. a, you know, he had a whole operation set up and that's where Dick Cheney learned it. Oh, interesting point. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Right. This is so crazy that it just sounds made up. Like it, it sounds like if you're like, oh yeah, Dick Cheney had a shadow cabinet. Like it, people would be like, you need to stop smoking that, but it's true. It's yeah. true, and where the weird thing is, we 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 knew it at the time. It was not it was not well hidden, you know, right? Um, which is kind of amazing. Uh, let's see. Uh, no one in the current White House is willing to uh, shut down Cheney. If someone did, Cheney's staff would devour that person. Person, which is <laughs> like physically, like yeah, they actually eat them. <laughs> yeah, they they, they, ate, they ate seven people. That is actually not widely known. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's real uh, Donner party vibes there. Yeah. Bush's staff is terrified of Cheney's people, said a former White House staffer. To maintain tight control of the national security portfolio, Cheney brought in his loyalist, loyalists to fill positions on his staff and on the president's staff. Uh, it was a gathering of intellectual and ideological firepower that Texans could never equal. If you recall, Bush brought in a whole bunch of his buddies from Texas. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, the degree to which uh, Cheney ran things. Cheney had George Bush surrounded. Not only was the president outsmarted by the man he calls vice, he was outstaffed. You know, he was creating jobs. (laughs) (laughs) But He He was a job creator. creator. He didn't care. I mean, 
he just wanted to be president the same way he just wanted to be in charge of the Rangers. That's right. what he wanted. And so he didn't care once he got in there. He just like wanted to give speeches and do his shit. He, this guy didn't give a shit. He yeah. didn't give a shit. So, yeah, of course, he's happy to let someone else take over, like delegate, let let, let the other people run with it. And that's why Cheney was picked, because he's the fucking operations man. What's interesting, because one of the thesis, I would say the primary thesis we're, we're looking at here is we're trying to counter the current narrative that um, Trump is the worst president we've ever had by reminding people of George W. Bush. And I would say that this might be the only argument you could possibly make in Bush's favor, because it's very, very clear that Bush was not actually in charge, right? Yeah. And that um, he was not the person that Dick Cheney was. So here's, I mean, people forget this. And it's not like, you know, look, I despise Bush. I was not going to vote for him. I'm certainly not making a case for him. But before the election. I mean, do you remember this, Dave? He was he was a centrist in the same sense as like a lot of centrist Democrats are now, which is one of my problems with him. Um, he learned Spanish. He talked diversity all the time. He supported amnesty for undocumented immigrants. He was focused on education. You know, he stopped supporting school vouchers early on. Um, you know, and compassionate conservatism. Compassionate, exactly. Compassionate pitch. conservatism. Um, and there were a lot of Democrats who were less concerned. They were concerned not about his politics. Remember, they were concerned that George W. was stupid. Yeah. yeah. And he was a big coke fiend party man. Um, <laughs> and that, that Dick Cheney worked to calm down. I scoured. I remember this happening. I've, I've read enough references oh, yeah. that it, it validated. I could not find video, which is a goddamn shame. But um, uh, if one of our listeners ever finds it and sends it to us, that'll be great. Bill Maher on Politically Incorrect said, with Bush and Cheney, you feel that the adults are in charge. <laughs> Do you really? Man, that guy has had some really bad takes for a while now, I think. It's always, that's all he's been doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole thing was it's okay to vote for Bush because he's gonna he's surrounding himself with smart people. That's all that, that you know, that's what yeah. they just, everyone was saying. and it was That's like, what no, people that's said not... about Biden, too. <laughs> Yes, that's yeah, why yes. nobody cared about the eye bleed thing. <laughs> They're like, whatever, <laughs> just run a corpse. It's so bad, and we keep we keep doing that. We keep. I mean, and yet at the same time, yeah, we understand that you know one person isn't behind all this, and that um, they are going to be, in essence, run by people around them. But sometimes it's so blatant, it's ridiculous. Uh, there was a fun story here. I don't even know if there's much to be learned by it, but I really kind of loved it. The Johnson Nunu story. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's a great story. This is great. So Bush is talking about, um, and this is a mentality among a lot of CEOs and bosses, too. It's not just it's not just him, but uh, this is a story about something he did when his daddy was president. At one point during my dad's administration, he asked me to analyze the White House. It was a moment of uh, great pride for me because here was my dad seeking my expertise, I guess you'd say, on figuring out what people were thinking about. And I was involved with the Rangers, but it was uh, more than happy to help. I went up and interviewed everybody on his team, and it became clear to me there was great frustration because uh, people in his administration weren't able to get to him and tell their opinions. I said, Dad, I think that in order to create a better culture, it's really important that 
you change your leadership in the White House. And he thought about it. And he said, well, who's going to tell, in this case, John Sununu, who had done a wonderful job for Dad, by the way. It's just that sometimes organizations creep over time. And I'm saying to myself, wow, you don't have anybody to tell him? <laughs> uh, a lesson I learned there is if you're in a leadership role, you better do it yourself if you need to make a change or have somebody do it for you that's credible. At any rate, I was the one. And so I went in to see John, who uh, gracefully listened to my suggestion that he give Dad the opportunity to change leaders, which he eventually did. And uh, I learned something very profound then, and that is that change can be hard, and therefore you better be ready to make change that's effective. Sometimes it is a painful experience, and I'm sure people listening who've had to do that will tell you it can be very painful and nerve-wracking for the person doing the firing. You know, you're just not sure how somebody's going to react. <laughs> Oh my God! So his dad, <laughs> his so his dad, his dad was a head of the CIA, uh, in charge of what may have been the most heinous operation in the history of the CIA it was Operation Condor. Uh, you know, there's there's that that uh, classic sort of thing that happens in movies, right? You you can have a jo guy join the gang. So how do you do that? Well, you make him make him kill somebody. Kill someone. Show, <laughs> Show, show that he can kill somebody. He, are you saying this he was is, George W. Bush was jumped in? Well, no. That's yes, not the I same mean thing. essentially, yeah. his dad wanted to see if he his dad wanted to see if he fucking had what it took. This is a crazy, gross, weird dad story. That's what this is. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, this is bad dad shit. And this family, my sister, my sister, my wife has read all about. Um, mm, I'll cut that. Um, yeah. My wife has read all about like the psychology because she's a psychologist, but the psychology of the Bush families. And she says they are a brutal, heinous family. They are terrible to each other. They are really, really, they've done really, really psychologically scarring, terrible things. And this is a great example of that. Like this is how you learn to be a Bush. And it's fucking gnarly. It's weird. Oh, my God. I cannot imagine being. And, you know, fuck John Sununo. On the other hand, I'm sitting here laughing at that miserable prick. Yeah, moment. fuck Humili him. This humiliation. At the same yeah. time, I'm, you know, a high-ranking White House staff member in the cabinet. And the president sends. What was then believed to be his moron, drug-addicted, alcoholic son. Right. To fire me. Don't dare yeah. me to like him, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I'm so torn on this one. Well, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a double, right? Because it's, it's, can my son take this guy out? And right. Secondly, how badly do I want to humiliate this guy? It's a double. Yeah. It is such a CIA way to fire someone. Yeah, it's unreal. Besides killing it's, them, it's 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 astonishing. I mean that that yeah. was a story I had not heard before. But what what's interesting <laughs> about it is that unlike a lot of this stuff, I mean we've just been watching George W. just whitewash his entire career. He's telling you this horrifying story that even if he's not, I mean, imagine what the version of this is where you know that he's cleaning up. What is he leaving out that makes it worse? <laughs> 
Yeah. I like how he phrases yeah. like the John's response, you know, like he agreed that my dad should uh, have the opportunity to make a change. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. And then, of course, the classic, my, my all-time favorite, uh, the sympathy he feels for uh, people who've had to do this before and, and how hard it is, you know, uh, when, when you have to fire someone because your pain, you know, as the boss is, uh, that's the thing. Whereas, you that's know, hard. At, at no Josh, point. have you ever had to fire someone? Almost never. It's hard. It's yeah, harder okay. than getting fired. You don't know funny. what it's like. The pain <laughs> of firing someone. A lot of these people have to go to therapy after they that's fire right. a bunch of people. After they fire someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever fired someone. Well, ever. you get PTSD, Kate. That's what happens. That's right. Yeah. Um, I like to abdicate responsibility. So exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't know that I have. I did on one day when I was directing my little movie at one point, it became incumbent upon me to drive someone to quit. Uh, oh my, my producer was like, we can't fire them. <laughs> but uh, how'd you do it? You have, you have to get them to quit. Uh, no, I was just, I was just, uh, I was kind of an asshole to them. Uh, yeah. In front of the whole crew. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it there worked. you go. But, um, uh yeah i don't know it's it's wow wow yeah i wonder if anything else in this is as straight up and honest as this one i don't know uh yeah i don't know if there is anything else that's uh, because the rest of it's just uh uh, (laughs) just lies like that are insane but this one's just straight up weird and and the fact that he can twist it around to make it seem like a positive in his head is really mind-boggling yeah. yeah, I'm just imagining like the corporate boomer who's like watching this, being like, mm, "Good advice." Wow, this applies to my business. Yeah, yeah. He gets yeah. to get my kid. Oh, to he feels he feels my pain. Yeah, you know, George um, you know what was I, advice on being a landlord. What I took away was to have my 13 uh, year old fire people. So from now on, all my employees would be fired by my young teenage son. That's right. I'm just gonna have my cat do it. We'll just put a little sign around his neck that says you no longer work here and send him in. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get back into whitewashing because he then tells another story about a firing that um, uh, where he does leave out some stuff and shades the story a bit. Uh, we have Harriet Myers, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I think of my friend Harriet Myers, who I nominated for the Supreme Court. And one of the most difficult periods for me in Washington because I loved Harriet. She'd have been a great Supreme Court judge. We needed a woman on the Supreme Court. She'd have been solid in her philosophical beliefs and uh, yet didn't pass muster primarily because she wasn't glib and nor did she go to an Ivy League law school. And, you know, she got out there and some some of my supporters or supposed supporters got after her early and then the other side piled on and as time went on, it became apparent that she couldn't get nominated. And so uh, Andy Card called me and said, you know, uh, I think we're going to have to uh, pull down Harriet. Yeah, so glib Ivy League wasn't the issue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But he's giving it away. He's basically saying, like, we picked an Ivy League educated woman. He's saying the thing that, like, liberals should have liked her. That's what he's saying there. Yeah, but he's also trying to blame it on liberals, which, you know, they they had some issues with it. But it's interesting that he does that, though, rather than address the people who did torpedo her. Do you you remember this? Because the thing with Myers 
especially as it went on, you know, you looked at the 48 other people he put on the court who were just like nightmares compared to, you know, his other appointees. She was, she was not terrible. I mean, for a, you could almost see, you know, Obama or Biden or Clinton nominated because she was, she was pro-choice. Uh, she opposed school prayer. She was more along the lines of Bush before Cheney came along, centrist. Uh, my favorite, I realized that she not only didn't belong to the Federalist Society, I think she's the last Republican nominee who didn't. Oh. She had actually made disparaging comments about them publicly. Oh, which there is you go. part of the problem. Yes, that's that what contingent yes. did not want this at all. They had put this guy in place to do this thing. And for some reason, he had managed to, you know, miss the morning meeting or something and nominate somebody who wasn't one of their, you know, absolutely well, yeah. barking mad lunatics. Everybody in the Federalist Society uh has been working to become a a u.s supreme court justice since they joined so to yeah. to do something outside of that is really bad you're not allowed to do that yeah you know, they they don't like it yeah and she was not she was not of that world um worth noting again we keep bringing up all these sort of great liberal icons uh beloved americans in the post-trunk world world one of the conservatives behind the campaign to completely torpedo her nomination was uh, uh david from our beloved mm. david from yeah i did not know that yeah yeah but we all love him now right because no he said he's i don't like i don't like donald trump therefore he gets to still go to all the parties he's no different than baghdad bob that's right who's baghdad bob Remember the guy during the war who would go on and just lie? He was there. Um, you don't remember Baghdad Bob? That we called him Baghdad Bob. Bob Dornan was that? It was no. Name? He was an Iraqi, and he would just go on and just say oh. the craziest shit during the war, and everyone just started calling him Baghdad Bob because of how much he lied and how absurd it was. Oh my God, no, I don't remember this guy. Oh, I've traumatically man, erased so much amazing. of that experience. <laughs> um. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because because going back and going through this again, it was interesting to be reminded that um, there was a politician inside George W. Bush who would be almost at home in the Repo or the Democratic Party today before Dick Cheney and the neocons got a hold of him. But let's uh, should we go into our next lesson because it sort of ties into this one: making tough decisions. You guys have to make some tough decisions. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. he says some stuff in this this one's gonna be fun um but let's start with a small thing he goes out we're gonna start with what he goes out on he talks a little bit about stem cells embryonic stem cell research was brought to my attention by margaret spellings domestic policy chief and she explained it to me and i said try it again because if i had to deal with this issue i knew i was gonna have to explain it and if i didn't under know what it meant the vast majority of Americans had never heard of the issue. The fundamental question involved with embryonic stem cell research was, do you destroy life to save life? And in other words, you destroy an embryo that could become life to create a uh, tool for science to maybe develop cures for diseases. Everybody in my administration knew, I believe that all life is precious. I mean, I campaigned on it. It just so happened that there were some embryonic stem cell lines. I think there were a hundred of them were available for research. And I decided that since life had already been destroyed, we should move forward for the sake of science. Do you remember this? Yeah. I remember the debate about it, but I don't remember all of it. It, it was pretty wild. Yeah. And um, 
uh, he then went on, um, well, he claims then that he met a, with a lot of different people to come to this mm -hmm. decision, like scientists yep. and ethicists. And mm -hmm. again, this was one of those things at the time where you're like, why are we even doing this? We know where this is going to come down. <laughs> um, and really the, 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 the only possible outcome to be wished for that that was plausible in this situation is that he'd end up doing what he did, which was allowing the ones that already existed to be used. I made decisions on what I thought was right based upon sound evidence and based upon principles. Never did I make a decision on trying to figure out the mood of the people or whether or not I would be personally popular. You know, during my presidency, I was popular and I was unpopular. And, you know, would I rather the former rather than the latter? Yes. But that's not the way life works when you're on the big stage. Yeah, man. And that's kind of true. He did not make a decision based on being popular with the electorate because the electorate was overwhelmingly in support of using stem cells. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He did it completely and utterly to appeal to his right-wing fundamental base, people like Jerry Falwell. This is all Carl yeah. Rove's idea. We got him in bed with these people. Had nothing to do with integrity or character. It was literally just pure politics with, let's let's say it, with people's lives because stem cell research vital stuff being done there people you know he was he was making it harder to uh do medical research for reasons having nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of sanity or rationality it was just well I, I i like that he says like you know i don't want these these embryos destroyed like it's mm. not like they're walking around they're fucking going to jobs like they're yeah. embryos like what are you talking yeah. about it's not no one's there's not an embryo harvesting service where they're go women are going in and just getting <laughs> getting embryos made so they can take them out for stem cell research it's they're fucking they were they were taken out already they're not a thing they're no well, longer a thing. i don't know yeah what happens to the, you know they, they were literally going to get thrown out I guess. Yeah. I mean, they, do we throw that's them the, away like, or do we use them, them to maybe save people's lives? I don't know. Tough. Let me call in some ethicists. Ethicists. <laughs> like, they're done. <laughs> you know way did that happen? God would have. <laughs> God would have wanted them in the garbage. Yeah. Like, dumpster dived embryos. I would love to know that. What the, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> do we do we think, was it the Dilbert guy? Did he call the Dilbert guy to come in and uh, work it out with him or something? <laughs> God, Jesus Adam. Christ. Um, anyway, uh, uh, that was, that was that. the big part of this chapter, the big one. Uh, well, this is interesting. Let's start here. If one's goal is to be well-liked, that may mean that one's goal is either unrealistic or the behavior is unseemly. In other words, I'm going to go around getting people to like me. Uh, for a politician, that makes sense only on election day. For a leader, you've got to make decisions. And if you do so based upon the Gallup poll, uh, then you're a lousy leader. I mean, he's right. But can you no. teach a class in leadership and not saying that? Look, to be a leader, you just got to do what people tell you to do. <laughs> I mean, it's just never... You got to do what your friend Dick says. Yeah. You got to do what the polls tell you to do all the time. I mean, for the most part, you are supposed to do what people want. I mean, you're yeah. a democracy. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. You know. I mean, there's... Well, when you put it that way, Dave, I'm sort of ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he's making it sound like his whole job is to tell people to fuck off. Like, no, you're supposed to 
like you go with the flow, you make decisions that are right. In this case, you know, we just talked about he made a decision that made a very small, small group of people happy and fucked over science and everybody else. Uh, like it's just an excuse. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But still, what else would he say? But now it gets yeah. juicy. Now it gets juicy. Now we're getting somewhere. It's important to develop a framework that allows you to make decisions based on a set of values and principles. Yeah, right? I mean, you walk no. in with some sort of set rules, some set ideas. When things happen that you don't expect, when it's chaotic, crazy, when shit's going nuts around you and you have a framework. You guys look at me like you're waiting for a punchline. There's no punchline. Fuck. <laughs> What am I going to do when the shit hits the fan? I need to be prepared. I need to have some idea so that when I'm going nuts with all this, I go, oh, right. I set a framework for this. So I would know what to do when it is too chaotic to make a rational decision on my own. I agree with this 100%. You with me? So far, so good. Yeah, Dave. No, you're doing you great with me. <laughs> set up a framework before you go into a thing so you know what to do when something happens have principles Ex hey there you go now this with foreign policy for example after 9 11 my administration laid out a set of principles to deal with threats before they fully materialized <laughs> after 9 11 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 <laughs> So, do I? Here's my chapter on why you need to set a framework before anything happens. Why is that? After 9 11, I set a framework. <laughs> well, not only that, but he's he's just given this big, you know, <laughs> lecture about how. You take in information, you listen to your people, and then you evaluate and you do this thing. Well, in August, on August 6th, a month before 9-11, um, he was given an intelligence document that said Al-Qaeda is preparing to hijack airplanes, and um, they totally ignored it. Like it Bin was Laden just determined to attack within the United States. I'm going off fucking memory. Am I right? Is that the... I believe that was the name of the thing, but it was basically like yeah. they're going to they're going to hijack airplanes. Yeah, I think I remember. And, yeah, reading like the title of the document was like "We're going to do 9/11" or something like that. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the exact title. I mean, we're going to do 9/11. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they totally they totally ignored it because they didn't have a plan, as he's just saying. They had nothing in place. To deal with, there was nothing. And also the big key, the big key, he was on vacation. Oh, my God. I forgot that part. He was on vacation. Bush? Yeah. When that when when he got the report, he was on oh, vacation. Oh, he got the report. He want, okay. He didn't want to deal with it. Right. Delightful. Yeah. I hate when my uh, boss emails when I'm on vacation. You know, that's always a bummer. It's the worst. Yeah. Especially when it's something heavy, like we're going to do 9-11. It's, it's amazing the degree to which, again, this is one of those things where something happened in broad daylight that we all watched happen, and then yep. they just lie about it for years. We're like, yeah, okay, fine. He, We set a framework in foreign policies to deal with shit like 9-11 after 9-11 happened. 
that's not leadership. Yep. That is literally not leadership. Leadership would be doing it before 9-11 happened. Yeah. This is aftership. <laughs> well, it's like, the you know, the the way, oh, it's, it's the same thing with like pandemic stuff. If If you're doing your job right, no one gets sick and everyone gets annoyed with what you're doing, but nobody gets sick. Well, it's the same fucking thing. If you're doing your job right, there is no terrorist attack. People are annoyed with something you did, right? But there was no terrorist attack. Like, you stop something is what you want to do in these kind of situations. You stop death from happening. But in this case, he is now considered this awesome fighter of terrorism because he allowed the worst terrorist attack in the history of America to happen. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, the moment, and I can't remember if I mentioned on this show or not before, but I dug up the clip. This is the moment that I knew that Donald Trump was a serious, serious, serious threat in 2016. Um, this is from the Republican debate. What you're about to listen to, if you missed it when it happened, I just want to warn our more sensitive viewers. This is a straight up murder on national TV. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting there, and let's set the table a little bit. As somebody who had been aware of Donald Trump since at least the 80s, the mid-80s, thought he, and had commented many times, that he literally, and I said this unironically, literally the worst American. This man embodies every single solitary negative yeah. aspect of the American character without a single solitary good one. The idea of Donald Trump running for president was so absurd and obscene. The idea of him becoming president was so disgusting. Watching this happen and watching him not get laughed off the stage the first time was startling enough. But the minute I knew we were in trouble, you're, you're about to hear this. While Donald Trump was building a reality TV show, my brother was building a security apparatus to keep us safe. And I'm proud of what he did. He's had the gall to go the after World my Trade mother. Center came He's down had the gall to go after reign. my mother. Remember that. Hold on. Let me finish this. He's had the gall to go after my mother. That's not keeping Look, us I won safe. the lottery when I was born 63 years ago and looked up and I saw my mom. mom my mom is the strongest woman I know. She should this be is running. This not about my family or his family. She should be running. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm watching that and I'm cheering. I couldn't even help myself. It was like, there was a moment of like, what the fuck am I doing? Because people forget this, but they used to all the time, Republicans, Bushes, everything They would come out and they'd go, Bush kept us safe from terrorism. And you'd be like, and you'd watch this on national TV and you'd watch them like on some panel with a bunch of fucking Democrats, a bunch of liberals on MSNBC. And you'd wait, is one of you motherfuckers going to say the thing? Cause yeah, uh, he kept us safe from terrorism, except for the one time. Yeah. No one would ever fucking say it. And it got to the point where you'd be screaming at the team, what about 9-11? And then the worst person in the fucking world, the worst person, you, the person you genuinely believe is the worst American, so, says it to his fucking face. It's like that yeah. uh, meme, the, the worst guy you know has a great voice. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is the epitome of that. It was the moment I knew they were in trouble and we were in trouble. It, it's just incredible. Just absolutely incredible uh and 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 to listen to bush talk about like hey, leadership yeah we came up with a great plan uh, after 9-11 well they came up with a plan after 9-11 but was boy did they 
Um, well, let's get back into it, shall we? Shall we talk about uh, uh, this? This is a fun bit. After 9-11, my administration laid out a set of principles to deal with threats before they fully materialized. And those principles became known as the Bush Doctrine. A doctrine is simply a set of principles by which decisions will be made. The war on terror will not be won on the defensive. We must take the battle to the enemy, disrupt his plans, and confront the worst threats before they emerge. In the case of the Bush Doctrine, developed right after 9-11, I thought long and hard about it, and I meant it. And by the way, the Bush Doctrine, I didn't concoct this on the back of an envelope on Air Force One. I mean, I sat down with some very serious thinking people all throughout our government, and uh, I said, I want to address this issue. And here's some, I, I've got strong thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear yours. And Condoleezza Rice and Steve Hadley, uh, uh, National Security Advisor and Deputy National Security Advisor, when I said, we got to develop a strategy to deal with this, they understood exactly what I meant. And they went around, collected opinions uh, from the various cabinet secretaries and or deputies. I didn't need to say much more than that. Uh, yeah, it didn't write on the back of a napkin. A preemptive war, regime change, rendition, torture, surveillance yeah. of Americans, endless fucking war. Oh, yeah. good. I'm so glad to hear that you guys gave it some thought. Yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not sure anyone's issue with it is where you wrote it down, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it was in at least a Frank binder. It was a bad plan. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Well, they did have a plan already. They had already put it in their uh, uh Cheney Rumsfeld report they wrote in the fucking nineties. Yeah. The crazy thing is they they did have a framework for all this. They were on top of it, they were ahead of it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy that Masterclass still Let's him like come on and talk well, about they this know shit. Yeah, people are going to buy it. I mean, this is just uh, you know, it's salvaging the legacy, right? It's, yeah, it's like I, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if they had Kissinger on. Yeah, I mean, it's just surprising <sighs> because I think that there's a fair amount of consensus now, even among Republicans, that the Iraq War was a fucking disaster. You know, and it's yeah weird to just the extent to which. They're very much glossing over that here. Well, and you really need to gloss over it now because of um, of Ukraine. Because yes. I mean, essentially, it's the exact same thing. But now we're going to pretend like we <laughs> we didn't do that. Yes. Like if you want to, if you want to be mad at Putin, you know, absolutely have at it. But also, you should ask he's, he's Bush not a good person, and, Dave. That Bush and Cheney be put in prison at the same time. Like those those are your solutions if you want to be consistent. Yeah, there was even yeah. that, like, uh, he accidentally, I mean, that clip of him giving a speech where he talks about the, where he's talking about Putin. He says, you know, the invasion of no. Iraq, I mean, Ukraine. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Uh, 
fucking hell. I mean, do we even need to this? And then he goes into Iraq. And I don't even know where to begin with this stuff. <laughs> Neither did he, so? to be fair. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love to know who wrote this for him um, because it is so fantastically insane. The stuff he's saying is not real and he's just saying it. And you're like, there's no reporter. There's no one to just asking questions. He just gets to tell it and there's no blowback. It's the perfect thing to do your propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's the crazy thing. And I, I will say, I mean, Masterclass has got some classes where people actually teach you shit or they're at least interesting, you know. Werner Herzog teaches a course and I don't even know what, but like Jesus Christ is Werner Herzog teaching about life, man. But there are, there is this, this cachet of these classes where these people are just using these things and who's listening to them. Who's watching them. You know, it's almost well, like it's I just think... for the record. I would like to say for the record, this is, this is my testimony, you know? I mean, the, the normal deal for, one of these is a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars and 30 percent 30 percent of what you bring in or my, i don't know how the 30 percent works because you don't do individual classes you set up right. the whole thing so it's it's a hundred thousand and then that so i'm assuming they get that but i i genuinely don't think it's about the money for you know the president's no it's not it can't things. be a lot of money for, i mean that's not a hundred thousand dollars it's not a lot of money to him so they probably pay more but it's also because it's certainly prestigious for them to have all these people on but it's it's the more, more important for him obviously the opportunity to yeah. use this forum to and, whitewashes. and the audience the audience does not seem the, I don't, this is not for conservatives i think conservatives will watch it just to feel good but this is this is him trying to reach liberals mm. that's yeah. how it feels to me yeah yeah God damn it. Um, I mean, shall I play a couple of clips of this stuff? This is After I made the decision to remove Saddam Hussein from power in Iraq, I was faced with another hard decision when the war in Iraq was not going well. Once in Iraq, an objective was to help a new government stabilize the country and give people a say in the future of their country. And, you know, it was going pretty well for a while. Dave? Was it going pretty well for one? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't going well immediately. It was never going well. And one of the main reasons it wasn't going well is because we have this thing called the State Department, which um, their job is essentially to help rebuild and reorganize and help fix a country that has been demolished through war. And uh, George Bush and Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld iced out Powell and the State Department. So they went in essentially blind with no idea how to change the country and fix it and turn everything around when they got there. They went in completely blind. So everything that he said in these two episodes leading up to this point about him listening to different people and taking in what people say and wanted to hear opposing points is the exact opposite of what he did when it came to Iraq. Yeah. And and it was not going well. Disagree. No, I'm just wouldn't saying. be mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it just it's so it's just so weird watching this and 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 realizing that here's the thing it's not like if you were doing this in a forum you know if you went on cnn into this with a bunch of people a bunch of pundits and reporters and so forth it's not like he'd be getting any more pushback than he is here talking by himself you know right and then you know all hell broke loose inside iraq the american people were becoming restless Members of Congress, you know, said, enough's enough, let's get out. And I was confronted with a choice. Do I accept failure by maybe pulling troops around but letting everybody fight it out inside the country? Or do we uh, strive for success, which is a ally in the war on terror and a relatively stable country? In the meantime, there were a group of people inside my administration led by Stephen Hadley, the national security advisor, and uh, some very young, smart people who said, we'd like to develop an alternative strategy to withdraw or surround, you know, keep troops around. It's a strategy that we think will achieve objectives that have been stated before. And I said, all right, show it to me. And in fact, they came up with what's now called the surge, which rather than withdrawing is moving 30,000 troops back into Iraq. This is a very delicate issue, of course. We developed a clear plan with goals. I mean, the goal wasn't putting 30,000 troops in. That was the means to achieve the goal. And it worked well. Sunni tribes throughout Anbar province, for example, given the boost of confidence because of U.S. personnel by their side whipped al-Qaeda. And the country changed pretty dramatically at that point in time in terms of security and confidence by the Iraqi people that the constitution that they had approved uh, would prevail. So we whipped al-Qaeda. Um, cool. So we'll be back next week. Um, so hold on. I have a, uh, oh, sorry. I have a question. Yeah, you in the back row? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, everything we know about Iraq is that uh, uh, Al Qaeda wasn't there. Uh, I'm sorry. Please, please restate your question. Yeah. Um. Al everything you know about Iraq is that Al Qaeda was not in Iraq at all and had nothing to do with that. They were not there. So how were the Sunnis? Were the Sunnis going to Afghanistan? But that's or where they, Saudi that's Arabia. Where they did 11 from was was Iraq. no. That was Saudi Arabia where they did 911 from Iraq, Saudi Arabia, whatever. No, it's actually they're different countries. Wait, what? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a hard time. Look, I mean, one of the things we don't prep this very well, folks. So I'm. Uh, we can, we can, uh, I'll probably get this part, but what I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like if I'm if I'm running masterclass, I'm like, hey, um, you can't say the that kind of thing because that's just like that's insane. Like that's crazy. Like you can't do that. That's really yep. just bananas that's why i have the word bananas it's for what you just said it's not real it's not real yeah. what you just said it's not real yeah and also he fired all the sunnis and that's what created the then the insurgents because he had taken a bunch of military guys and just cut them loose which doesn't work in a society especially one that's coming out of a an invasion and total chaos yeah. like oh i, I he remember fucked that, everything up yeah he fucked everything up Someone just needed to send him the we live in a society meme. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so was this, was this, I can't remember. It's also, it all blurs together. Is this when he came out and did the uh, mission, uh, mission accomplished bit? 
Uh, yeah, the, I think he did Mission Accomplished, you know, right around now, I believe mm-hmm. so. I mean, it's, you know, you have the looting in which Rumsfeld thought was um, untidy and, you know, it stuff happens, I think was his quote. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, things get broken. Uh, things get broken. So you're, you know, but essentially we went in with no no State Department help. So we, you just essentially had soldiers ro- roll in, but you didn't have anybody with them to deal with maybe helping out so there isn't rioting you know mm-hmm. or trying to talk to the leaders who could maybe stop the rioting like that sort of thing wasn't happening at all um and then when it was sort of chaos and and Saddam was clearly gone then he did mission accomplished and it was far 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 from over yeah it was at least a few just like just like when uh Biden Biden said uh COVID's over in February 22. You can take off your masks. That also wasn't a. Um, that, that was not, not real. really. It's not, still going a lot on. Of dead people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was pretty amazing. I mean, that, that, um, I knew we'd get to Iraq. I knew it would be uh, startling. Um, I, there's something about, I'm always in awe of these guys. Like, if I'm, certain that you're never going to be able to know that you'll never find out i'm 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 as capable of anybody as lying to you to your face i mean we all we all have that instance to some degree the thing that also you are if there is the the excuse me what did you say david don't continue dare you it's the part where you can look people in the eye straight up lie to them about something they all know They've all seen mm-hmm. with their eyes to be untrue mm-hmm. and keep on about your business. I'm in awe of it's fucking amazing. I mean, it's isn't it's, that isn't that a skill you need to be president? I guess to a degree, but I always thought like to, to me, it'd be like, well, you spin things to make them look better. You can't just go out and go, hey, we just won a war that you didn't win. You can't just go out and say hey, this pandemic that we're still in the middle of that is still killing, by the way, a 9-11's worth of Americans every week. You can't just say, oh, yeah, the pandemic's over. It's all good. It's fine. I don't know how you do that. And I don't understand how you can do that as a human being. I also don't understand how we live in a culture in which you can get away with that. Is it simply that people just have no, we have no tools for, for how to deal with that? Yeah, I I don't think I don't think there's anybody who was raised in this country with the education you get that that has an easy time accepting that your leaders don't care about you at all. Like that's a hard mm-hmm. thing to come to grips yeah. with and would just lie to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just still it's astonishing. It's like my my I'm always overwhelmed by it. I always just. I mean, I think it's it's, it's not just the education. It's like it's that it's terrifying to grapple with that. That like truly, there's no one that's yeah. steering, steering the ship. You know. I think yeah. people feel yeah. a lot safer believing, like, ah, oh, you know, they're trying, and it's just really difficult and takes compromise versus like, no, these people do not give a shit. Yeah, it's just not within. It's very, it's very much not within human capacity to to just say i'm on a rudderless ship like you just your brain a lot of people's brains just can't they fry yeah uh, well we're not on a rudderless ship are we we're <laughs> sailing straight uh, i would i would disagree yeah. <laughs> i mean uh, 
on this on this podcast on this podcast we're we're sailing right towards our talking next about. episode of the george w Bush master class we still have by the way we still have 9-11 and katrina oh. and other good stuff to look forward to so see what kind of valuable Playing leadership the lessons yeah uh, dub dub is going to give us uh that he learned from these incredible triumphs from his career as president, um, his career <laughs> as uh, worst worst president ever, I would say, still standing by. Yeah, and let me before somebody uh, yeah. caught me in a contradiction. Being the worst American does not make you the worst president. I'm sorry, They're two separate things. Although I, I, you know, looking at looking at what has happened since their presidencies, I think I would still argue it's Reagan, but. Um, okay, I can. I can Reagan go there. is well, the most transformative yeah. president as far as how people thought and continue to think, and it's yes, it's it's anti-society. It's completely destructive, and it's put in power all these people who want to dismantle government. And now look, it's now dismantled. Look, it's we did it. <laughs> yes, yeah, we did it. Yay! There's a very good point. Um, sadly, uh, he died before he could get around to recording his masterclass. Oh, God. Yes. Which uh, is our loss. Uh, But anyway, we will be back next week um, with more of this stuff. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to The Lever. Thank you so much. Talking to me or to them? Either one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Kate Willett. I'm here to make a special announcement, which is that on October 30th in San Francisco at the Rickshaw Stop, I and a bunch of other really funny comedians will be doing a fundraiser for John Hamasaki, who is the Reform DA candidate in San Francisco. As you know, a bunch of right-wingers were successful in recalling Chesa Boudin, and we want to get the incumbent out of office and hopefully get someone in office who is going to continue with Chess's policies, prosecuting bad cops, uh, treating unhoused people like human beings. Um, we really want to get this war on drugs person out and Hamasaki's campaign really could use some help. So if you're around in San Francisco, please come to the fundraiser on October 30th. You can get tickets at bit.ly dash comedy hamasaki and that's h-a-m-a-s-a-k-i hope to see you there thank you so much You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they pay or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take you home, we'll just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper out on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the Thank our incredible 
support team. Uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, AKA research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as diesel boots. <laughs> 